You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. I want to welcome you all this morning to uh, Pentecost. It's the Feast of Pentecost. Maybe you remember that from growing up. Um, the Old Testament day called Shavuot in Hebrew, Pentecost in Greek. We're going to work on this right here and see if Christ satisfies any of these. And, uh, but that, that's coming. I want to read you the scripture. We're going to start in Exodus. We're going to go to Acts, starting in Exodus, Exodus 19, if you want to turn there this morning. What's going on in Peru? This, this communist president that they're having, what I was, that he's already kind of let out of the bag what he's wanting to do. And I was talking to Joel this morning, Pastor Elias. They're very concerned about this man. Um, their choice was between this guy and some lady that was coming from, uh, her father was president back in the day, very corrupt. And um, I was surprised that they would elect a communist. And you, you young people, younger people, and you see this socialism thing and this communism thing, and it's rising up in the United States, this Marxism thing. BLM, I don't care what your opinion is, I'm going to tell you what the truth is right now. It's Marxist. They say that they're Marxist. They will tell you Marxist is a half a step, not even, from communism. So what communism is, is complete control of all people, all production, and everything. So when you see that coming into a nation, what you see is the crushing of anything that would go against. So, so it's the whole, you must worship us and not God. So if you choose to worship the Most High God, if you choose to worship Jesus Christ, you're going down. They will kill you. They will beat you. They will make you recount um, who you are as a believer. And Joel said that he's really been training his kids, and the church there has been training their children so that the children will remain strong in the faith. Because Joel was reading one story uh, of a man, they were beating him for his faith, asking him to recant, and he wouldn't recant, he wouldn't speak. And so they brought his 14-year-old son in there, and they started to beat his son. And they told him, if you'll recant, if you'll say that our leader is where it's at, then we'll stop beating your son. And the father was about to speak, and the son spoke, 14 years old. He said, Father, do not be a traitor to Christ. If I have to die a martyr, that's what I'll do. Jesus is the Christ. And they killed his son in front of him. And you don't think it can happen here, but it can. it's coming. I'm telling you, you got to wake up, people. They're arresting pastors on the street in Canada. We're three years behind them and everything else we do. They're a socialist government. Socialism is being pushed by our president, our vice president now, and other people in the federal level. Socialism is. Socialism, right behind socialism comes communism. If you don't know what you believe, if you don't understand who Christ is, if he's not your Messiah, if you're not willing to give up everything for him, I promise you, he says, if you confess my name before men, I'll confess you before my Father. If you do not confess my name before men, I will not confess you before my Father. You better know who the Messiah is. Parents, teach your children while there's still time. Pray for our friends in Peru. Um, we're supposed to maybe possibly meet Jed, uh, Joel in, um, in Guatemala here shortly. But this guy could shut down all travel, and uh, so we'll have to see what happens there. Pastor Elias, is, Pastor Elias says the total number of people coming to his church is down to about a third of what it once was. It used to have quite a few hundred going there. People are terrified to go to church. The government's already squeezing them. What's going to happen when they squeeze here? Are you going to remain bold? Exodus 19, verse 8. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Today, the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Shavuot in the Old Testament. I got enough notes and revelations from this week to go for three hours. But because of God's mercy and his long-suffering on me, I will be similarly merciful and long-suffering to you. But um, So if you grew up in church, you vaguely recall them mentioning... Anybody, what happened at Passover? Or at Pentecost, sorry. What happened at Pentecost? Anybody? Somebody. In Acts chapter 2, what happened? Somebody Vanessa. That's right, flames of fire on top of the building. A lot of other stuff happened too. We're going to talk about that. But that's what it's known for, right, is the fire coming down. And it was actually the holy, the picture of the Holy Spirit anointing these people for the ministry of the gospel. We're going to talk about that today. 
A lot more going on in that, but in Exodus, we're going we're gonna to start there and we're going to work our way to the culmination of our redemption there in Acts, in the book of Acts. So 50 days ago, we celebrated Passover here as a church. Pentecost, 50 is what that number is, Pentecost. It's just 50 days. It's 50 days from Passover. It's a counted days. They count the day of the Omer, and there's two different ways of counting. The Jews got it all crazy where it's hard to understand for us gringos. But anyway, there's a counting of days each day where they count the Omer, and they, and they look for a certain, first they look for a moon phase, and after the moon phase, they look for a certain amount of growth in the, in the wheat head. The first, the first fruits, the first harvest is the barley harvest. This is wheat the barley harvest they have right there at first fruits, right at Passover. So Passover and first fruits together. And then 50 days later is the wheat harvest. I was talking to Zach about that this morning. That barley must be a really short season grain. I'm not really sure how, I don't have to look that up. But, but uh, you know, wheat you plant it the year before and it winters. And then in the, you know, when it winters, turns, keeps, stays green all winter. And then in the summer or in the spring, it shoots on up and makes the head and things like that. So uh, a little bit different type of growth there. And so, uh, but we didn't go through all the, um, so that for the counting of the Omer, the Jews had this, this thing going on. So the, I made this symbol right here. And if you remember, this is a symbol for God, but it's also the symbol for the paint on the doors at Passover. So that's why I used it again. So we're going to call this one Passover. That's the name right here, Hashem right here. Then from Passover, so this is how it went with the Jews. They're coming, they're in Egypt, coming out of Egypt. So we got Passover. They did that at home. Very next day, they get up bright and early. Remember, they had to make the bread, the unleavened bread. They put it on their back, right? And the Feast of Unleavened Bread began three days of seven. So the first three days, Feast of Unleavened Bread, they're out in the, they're on the run. Then they get to the Red Sea crossing. They get backed up to the Red Sea, you recall. And then God moves in a mighty way. They cross the Red Sea. They come to this place called Marah, M-A-R-A-H the place of the bitter water. In there is where Moses uh, makes the bitter water turn sweet by the work of God through him. Then they go from there, <coughs> and they start, they're kind of running low on food now. We're in the middle of that 50 days, okay, from Passover. This is the first one. To bitter waters, to the coming of the bread from heaven, the manna. So the manna comes. After the manna, they complain again. They end up with the water from the rock, where he strikes the rock, the first rock. Okay? After that, they get into the war with the Amalekites, who pursued them. So they're at like day 35 to 45 right here. And at day 50 is when they receive the Torah. They're at Mount Sinai, they receive the Torah. So the Feast of Shavuot is where they receive the law. That's what happened. And you're going to see today that the, the initial receiving of the law there at Torah at Mount Sinai is the same thing that's going to happen there in Pentecost in the book of Acts. But we'll, we'll get there. Take us a second. So for, in 50 days, they go from living as slaves individually in, in Egypt, literally, and are trained on the run to be you know, fighters, survivors. They get to do jungle warfare, desert warfare and survival training, <laughs> cross the Red Sea. They get to do sea training. And they get to do, uh, you know, combat training. They get all the different trainings there. But in all of this, it's a preparation of God on these people, his chosen people. It's a preparation on them for them to become dependent on him for their every need. That's what's going on. In communism and socialism, what the government wants is for you to be dependent on them for your every need. That's what they want. Anything to take men's minds or eyes off of God. God says that he will provide all of our needs according to his riches and glory. He's got everything under control. God will provide for his people. And so he's trying to show them that in the, in the preparing them beforehand, showing that he's more powerful than all the other gods, telling them beforehand, I'm warning you, you're fixing to make a run for it, make you some bread up. I'm telling you, when we get to the Red Sea, watch and see what I do. So he puts a barrier between them and the, and the Egyptians, makes a way for the Red Sea to cross. They cross the Red Sea. They get to this place of bitter water. You take us all the way out here, and then all we have is bitter water. Ding! Sweet water. Then he takes them. You, you're going to starve us out. He gives them the quail. He gives them the manna. He provides their every need. As this bread runs out, he provides new bread miracle bread 
and then from there the water from the rock. And now they're not, they've never, they've never fought anybody. Dad used to say couldn't beat their way out of a wet paper sack. They, they couldn't do anything. They're helpless. They've only been beat down emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically. They don't know how to fight. They've never been a fist fight. They, in fact, they got on Moses for killing the Egyptian. I mean, they were surprised that it was even possible. And now they've got to fight the Amalekites. These were battle-hardened people. When they come up against them, they have no chance. Why? Because God's doing the fighting. So anyway, and then ultimately with the Torah there. So in all that, God is preparing them to rely on him. I have been consistent for 50 days. I have been consistent for longer than that, but for 50 days since Passover, I've been consistent in caring for you. You can rely on what I'm going to tell you is going to happen next. If you'll just do what I tell you, if they would have done what they, he told them, they would have been in the promised land in less than a year. It wasn't that far. It was a couple, 300 miles or something. It wasn't that far. It's a long way on foot, but you're going ever how many miles a day, 10, 15 miles a day. It's not that far. But because of their stubbornness and their rejection of his care, he's like, why don't you just wander around in the desert for a while? That's a story for another day. So he gets them more and more God conscious. He works on their spirits all the way down through here until he prepares them for the Torah. The first five books of the Bible is called the Torah or the law. So stand at the base of Mount Sinai, Exodus 19, 3 through 8. I want to read this to you. Exodus 19, verse 3 through 8. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, Jacob is the name of Israel before it's Israel. So Jacob, supplanter, liar, weasel, and Israel, one who contends with God. He changes Jacob's name from the supplanter to one who contends with God. They still, God's willing to listen to people. He's willing to let you have questions. But these are God's people. He changes Jacob's name, and he's the father there of the Israelites. And so he calls them Jacob, especially when they're being bad. Um, and tell the children of Israel, you shall call, say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Really interesting. The Israelites were willing to do whatever the Lord told them to do, but this is before the Ten Commandments. I don't know if you ever caught that before. They say, we will do whatever it is you tell us to do. It like, sounds like Forrest Gump. How do you, you know, how do you know what you're doing? I'll do whatever you tell me to do. That, that's the right answer. We will do whatever it is you tell us to do. But they said that before they heard what he was going to tell them to do. It really reminded me of, of you married people can relate to this maybe better than unmarrieds, but you, you go and stand before the, the pastor and he, he gives this list of things, and you're looking at each other with love in your eye, and he says, you know, do you solemnly swear, do you promise to, you know, love and honor and obey and, and all these things? And they look at each other, oh, I do. You don't know what you're getting into. You have no idea what you're getting into. You're like, oh, sure, man, you just, we love you, man. I love you, I love you. Okay, let's go. And they have no idea what they're committing to. It's a very similar thing. And what's happening here, whether you realize it or not, is that God is making a marriage contract with the Israelites right here. It's exactly what's going on here. He's saying, I will be your husband, you will be my wife. I will take care of your every need from protection to procreation so that you have many children to provision. I'm going to take care of all of it. All you got to do is do whatever it is I tell you to do and everything's going to be great. You can completely rely on me because I love you. And so if they had followed by that rule, they would have had a wonderful marriage to the Lord. Instead, they contended with him. And as you know, contention in marriage doesn't make for a very pleasant marriage. Anyone has seen that. Everyone's seen that. A contentious, uh, better to live on the corner of a rooftop than a house with a contentious woman. A contention does not make the marriage better. 
pressure does not make it better. Obedience makes it better. Honoring makes it better. Love makes it better. Contention does not make it better. So God, in speaking to them, don't be contentious, you ones who contend with God. Be honoring, be loving, be obedient, and I'll take care of you. So it's just he's writing up a, a particular marriage contract, and he has a mediator here in Moses. Moses is the Old Testament picture of Christ. He's the go-between between God and man. He actually goes, if you see how it does, God calls him up. Verse 3, Moses went up to God. Lord called him up to himself to the mountain and says, blah, 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 Moses, go do so-and-so. Then Moses goes down to the people, and he tells the people, this is what the Lord said, are you willing to agree with this? And the people say, all that you have told us, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses takes that back up. Moses brought the word back to, brought back the words of the people to the Lord. So he takes it back up to the Lord. So as a mediator, he does an excellent job. There's one little spot there where Moses gets chewed out because, and we're going to see this again, is that God tells Moses to organize the people around the base of Mount Sinai. I want you to get all the people, all the people, and I want you to get them around the base of Mount Sinai because I'm going to speak from there. So I want you to get all the people gathered up there. You gather up around the mountain. Do not touch the mountain. You just get them there, and I'll take it from there. Well, Moses is taking a sweet time about it, verse 23. Uh, but Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Away! Get down and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses is like, I already organized them. I'm just going to spend time here with you. And he's like, don't make me tell you again, son. Daddy's getting angry. And he's, he's like, go now and tell them. Because people are foolish and forgetful. It's what we do. And they get excited. And they, and they start like, you know, this is the most high God. Maybe we could see him face to face. And the Bible tells us no one can see God and live. His perfection is holiness. And these were certainly unholy and imperfect people, just like we are. So God is warning him, go tell him, and Moses, as a good mediator, he understands, Father has spoken, and he goes and he acts. I thought this was very interesting. I caught something here that I never uh, really recognized fully before. I, mean, I probably read it a hundred times, and I bet you have too, and I'll show it to you here in a second, but Moses is obedient, he organizes the people, he gets them ready to hear from the Lord, and God is about to speak to the people personally. I want us to stand together as we read this Exodus. We're going to read the Ten Commandments together because God spoke them to Moses, and I think these are critical for today as forever. So let's stand together and read the Ten Commandments. It starts in Exodus chapter 20. I say we stand together, and you know, you used to hear that in reverence to God and His Word. This is God speaking. This isn't a man speaking for God. This is God speaking. God spoke all these words to all the people, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes the name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you work and do all, shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your sons, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servants, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against thy neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Amen. You can be seated. It's kind of interesting as we read that. So, so we've, how many have seen the old Ten Commandments movie, Charlton Heston? 
you got to be over, well, okay, Grace, my one girl there. you got to be a little bit older to remember that one. He made a good Moses, right? He's got the tablets, thus saith the Lord, and his big Charlton Heston voice writing, he's got the tablets, and then he reads them. He reads them. But that's not what the book says right here. The book says that God spoke all these words. Did you ever catch that? God did not speak these words to Moses to tell the people. God spoke these words to the people. When Josiah, King Josiah, read these words, the Bible, the book was hidden from them, and they go clean the temple out. And, they, and Josiah reads the books, and it says he weeps and he tears his clothes because he knows as God's people they haven't lived this way. God spoke these words. These aren't Moses' words. These aren't a man's word. God spoke these words to the people. I never really caught that before. They did get written on the tablets, but this is when Moses goes back up. He goes back up to receive the law from God, the whole law, and he writes that on the tablets. But primarily, God speaks the law to the people in person. God speaks. It's pretty amazing, too. It says right here that all the people's witnesses, the thundering, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoke. And if you recall, as it calls the people up, maybe you don't. I was going to break my shofar out today, but that gets everybody nervous when you start breaking out the ram's horn and playing it in the Baptist church or whatever. But it said that they started playing, and it grew louder and louder and louder, and it went on like this one blast went on for so long, they're like, this is completely abnormal. It's louder and louder until people are like on their knees holding their ears. That's how God calls the people up. And then he prepares to speak. And when he speaks and he says these words, it says the people trembled and stood afar off. Something's going on here in the thunderings. I think I've told you this before. That's like where it says in Revelation, the voices of many waters. That's what his voice sounded like, the sound of many waters, like a rushing water. Tradition says... I know I don't want to say it's not this is not the Bible. This is Jewish tradition, okay? Separate thing, but they have a lot of insight into God's word and what the Hebrew is more more clearly there. But this thunderings is God speaking the Ten Commandments in all 70 languages at one time. So we have the Israelites, but we also have the mixed multitudes that's with them. So we got people, we got English speakers, we got Spanish speakers, we got whatever, Nairobi speakers, whatever they speak there, and, and African people speakers and Chinese speakers. We got them all there together. And so that man is without excuse. God's word comes down so that all men simultaneously hear the Ten Commandments in their own language. Thunderings. You're going to see that this happens again in the book of Acts. All men are going to hear the Ten Commandments in God's language to all men so that man is without excuse. Interesting. Jesus in the New Testament, as you recall, he goes through the Ten Commandments, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He goes through the Ten Commandments, and he points out these things that we say, well, I'm a good person, I never murdered anyone, I've never committed adultery. And he goes through those, and he says, you mistreat your parents. And you, you murder when you look at someone with hate in your heart. You harbor hate against them. You commit adultery when you look at someone with lust in your eyes. That's the same of committing adultery in your heart. And he points out every man has broken all of these. And that's why our only hope is in Christ. But that aside. So this mixed multitude, it says that they're, this, this right here, this Ten Commandments, is the foundational plan for God's image bearers on this earth to represent his kingdom. These are the rules. If you are a person of God, if you recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, if you recognize God the Father as the creator of all things, then these are the rules that we live by. These are the base rules. There's more. These are the base rules. By living by these, by trying to keep these, by honoring God above all else, having no other God before him, just him alone as God, not having any other thing as an idol, be it money or your cell phone or your, or your job or your career, or your children, no other thing before him. By doing that, you're honoring him. By, not, by uh, not taking his name lightly, not just as a cuss word, but as the, because like, uh, like old uh, Ray Comfort always says, would you take your mother's name and use it as a foul word to describe something? Of course not. 
but we use God's name in a similar way. But not just in that, is when we take God's name and we apply it to a common thing. I swear to God that if you ever do such and such again, I'm going to do whatever. Whenever we take his name and we make it common, he says, don't do that. That's blasphemy. Treat my name high. Keep it elevated. As you go through that list, remember the Sabbath. Are we doing that? Are we taking a true day of rest, one day of rest a week? You say, well, we're New Testament. I don't see it. It's in the New Testament. Dig through there and find it. It's in there. Because our man Paul keeps the Sabbath. Our man Christ keeps the Sabbath. There's stuff he does on the Sabbath. We've talked about that. Keep a day of rest. Focus your whole attention on God in that day. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in helping others. Spend time in serving others. Spend time in healing others. Jesus did all those things. And like I told you before, if you really need to rough somebody up, go to the temple, and if they're doing false stuff in there, you're free to whip them with cords. Jesus did that on the Sabbath too. Do, but be godly on the Sabbath. Minister to others on the Sabbath. Quit taking the Sabbath for yourself and going and doing and completely ignoring God and what he is. Take time to find and hear from God on the Sabbath. Honor your father and your mother. I don't care what your relationship is. It's been hard for me. I didn't have a good growing up. I didn't have a whatever. But I'm telling you that the Bible tells me to honor my father and the mother in the Lord for this is right. And it says that it'll prolong my days. It's hard to prolong. It's hard to do that sometimes. I don't get along with them that well in a lot of ways. But I got to take care of them because God tells me to. Because that's what kingdom people do. And it says not to murder. Be careful what you speak. Be careful what you think. Not to commit adultery. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful what you put into the, into the supercomputer there. Be careful what you're putting in there that you're not committing adultery. Be careful what you say about others. Don't be a false witness. That means don't say things that aren't necessarily true about someone else. Keep the gossip to a minimum and keep the lying to a negative. It says that liars shall have no part in the kingdom of heaven. If you want to be in the kingdom of heaven, stop lying. And it says not to covet. Don't, don't dare desire something someone else has. The Lord has provided for you exactly what you need in order to orient your spirit to his spirit. Be satisfied in the life, in the, in the care, in the love, in the things that you have. Change your relationship with your God. If you want more different or better, change your relationship with God. Begin to seek him out fully with your whole heart. And he will provide for you according to his riches and glory. It's a pretty, pretty good list there. We can do that list. Get down and come up. So after that, after the Ten Commandments, Moses goes back, and so this is the Feast of Shavuot. This is the Feast being born. I've got to tell you a couple other things. So the Feast of Shavuot is the giving of the law. It's the directives for men to live as kingdom men on God's created earth according to his purposes. So this is God's list for, for men to live as kingdom men on God's created earth, according to his purpose, according to his direction. We got a lot of, we get, we get some wrong thinking there a lot of times where we're like, well, I mean, God would, I mean, he understands. He understands. If your ox is in the ditch, every Sabbath, get another ox. You're going to have to do something else. He can't always be in the ditch. Well, God, Jesus said it's okay if my ox is in the ditch. Get another ox. He's in the ditch too much. You got too much on your plate. Take time to love him. Take time to see him. But anyway, this, this other interesting note, this was from the, the ancient uh, Hebrew scholars in Exodus 24.10. So he calls all the, uh, the elders up. So now they're going to have a powwow. God, Moses, and the elders are going to have a powwow. And it says something really cool there. It says, they saw the God of Israel. They saw his feet. They saw the God of And under his feet, it, as if it were a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. Sapphire in general is a blue, a real pretty blue, sometimes darker blue than others, but look at Renetta's eyes. looks about like that. So that real kind of clear blue. And, uh, but, but So the elders said that the original tablets, get this in your mind, this was just incredible, were made of sapphire stone. And that the letters were, you know what that laser cutting is where they cut a, a thing through and it doesn't leave a line. They can do it on wood or stone or whatever. It, like the la letters were like laser cut in the stone where they could be read from either side. If I'm carrying the stones, it would read the same on the back as it would on the front. The whole law on these sapphire stones. And if you recognize where they came from, they came from 
The law of God came from where? Came from under his feet. So these sapphire stones, now some, like I said, some of this is tradition, so you can't, um, don't treat this as doctrine, but this was just very interesting that people a lot closer to that age talked about the initial stone tablets given by God were on this sapphire stone. And that the letters were readable from both sides. And the last thing was is that they carried their own weight. Moses didn't carry them down the mountain. He just guided them. That the law of God is capable of carrying its own weight. Can you imagine a sapphire stone big enough to have the law of God written on it and then trying to carry the thing? And so they carried their own weights. It kind of floated there. It's just some really strong imagery. God's law carries its own weight. He doesn't need you to support his law. His, his is the law. That's like going down to the courthouse down here and speeding and breaking into a liquor store and robbing two banks and then say, well, man, I'm a law unto myself. No, man, the law is there. You fall under the law. The law carries its own weight. It doesn't need you to help it. So anyway, a lot going on there. There's a lot more symbology and things like that going on, but we've got we to gotta get moving to Acts chapter 2. Let's go ahead over there to Acts chapter 2. And we'll see Shavuot in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. So in Acts chapter 1, the mediator, Christ, does the same thing that Moses did. He organizes the people into a place. He organizes God's people into a place where they could meet with God and hear directly from him. Acts 1, uh, let's see where it says that, in verse 4. Being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he gathers them as a good mediator. He gathers them to hear from God collectively. And so then in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 1, it says, Now when the, day, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They'd been organized. They'd been gathered in the new Mount Sinai. They're in this room. They're together. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one set upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are these not who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which he was born? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites, dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? I'm going to tell you what it means. It means the same thing it meant in Exodus. It means God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance and that he would bring the gospel to the nations and he doesn't allow that any man would be outside of hearing the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no man that he doesn't want to receive um, reconciliation with him. He wants all men to be reconciled to him. All the people... So, Jesus gathered them all in one place. God speaks, and they have this same thunder thing going on where they're all hearing in their own language. It puts all men without excuse because they all hear in their own language. And it puts an impetus on the men to go out and proclaim the gospel, just like it did with the Israelites back in Exodus. There's a lot of things that happen between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and not by coincidence. There was 3,000 people lost to the worship of Baal on the Feast of Shavuot in the Old Testament, and there was 3,000 people gained, about 3,000 were added to them that day, on the Feast of Pentecost in the New Testament. The initial obedience of the, of the Old Testament saints, we will do whatever it is you tell us to do, happens again in the New Testament there, Acts 2, 42 through 45, which we read the other day. We'll read again. 
And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This amazing work of God, just speaking in every tongue to all men simultaneously, caused both groups of people to become evangelists for a moment. If we could focus in on a small point there, it said in Exodus 19.8, then all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. When we first hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, any one of you, you, maybe, you maybe it's been years ago, maybe you heard it when you were young. I just remember, and I've told you this before, my poor mother but when, when I'm, I heard it at church and I came home and I was running through the house, I think I, think I got a, a beating before it was all over, but I was so happy when I got home from church because I had been saved. I didn't know what I'd been saved from. I was like six, but I'm running like the wind. I was still short enough. I must have been younger than that because I could run under the table without it hitting me in the head, and I grew pretty fast. So I was maybe younger than six, but... I'm running around and tearing up Job, and mom's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I'm just so happy. Why are you happy? Because I've been saved. Something happened between there and 30 where I lost my zeal. God never left me. I left him. I went about my own way and did whatever I did. I, I would never brag about my life in between there because it was, it was, just, it was just pitiful. It was shameful for one who had been saved. But I dare say that many of you have done the same. When we first hear the gospel, we accept the gift of God readily with this same answer. Whatever it is that you have spoken, we'll do. We don't even know what the rules are. The first thing we receive when we receive Christ, we don't know what the rules are. We talked to, I'm going to use Keith as an example. I didn't tell Keith I was going to do this, but you can hug Keith afterwards and ask for forgiveness for me. But, but we talked to Keith for a long time before he accepted Christ. He's like, he wanted to know, what's he going to want from me? Yeah, isn't that right? Like, I heard that stuff, but, I mean, that's, that's a different look on it. That's that good German spirit right there, man. I want to know all the, all the rules beforehand. But for most of us, we receive Christ, and then we say, what do you want from me? Because we know that without him, we're lost, dead in our trespasses and sins, separated from God in eternity. The fool in his heart says, no, God. He knows there's a God, but he says no to God rather than being obedient to him. But the wise man, when he's presented with the gospel, the fact that Jesus Christ came, lived a sinless life, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, was murdered, entirety of God's wrath poured out on him for our sake, died completely dead, put in the grave, three days later rises again. When we hear that, and that he sits today, right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, when we hear that, we're like, I need that. Because he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's the only way to get to the Father is but through me, Christ. It's appointed once for a man to die and then the judgment. Every one of us standing before the throne of judgment, every single one giving an account, the Bible says, for every idle word you've spoken. You ever spoke an idle word? You ever told a lie? You ever thought a hateful thought about someone? You ever thought a, a adulterous thought about someone? You ever talked back to your mom and daddy? Have you ever blasphemed the name of God? By our own testimonies, we're lying, blasphemous, sinning, adulterous, murdering wretches. And without Christ, we have no hope of eternal life. But with Christ, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the mouth, one confesses unto righteousness, and with the heart, one, one pleads unto salvation. You can have salvation, but you ain't getting it on your own. Only by the work of Christ. He does all the work. All we have to do is put ourselves at his feet. He wants us to. God's not willing that we would perish, but that we'd come to repentance, that we could be drawn to him through the work of Christ. So as time passes, we first hear that, we're like, man, I need that. I can't do this on my own. There's things that I do in my life, and it makes me feel guilty or convicted. I can't, I can't live like that. What's the answer? And the answer is provided. But in time, maybe we accept Christ. We know to do right. To him who knows to do right does not do it as sin. We know to do right. We can't keep doing right for whatever reason. So we accept Christ. 
And he says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we begin this new walk with Christ, and then something happens. The world begins to invade in our life and draw us away from our first love, just like you were talking about in Finland. I mean, it's a beautiful place with beautiful people. And the world invaded in there, and it confused them. I want to read you. It's in, it's in Matthew 13. And it's the, it's the different types of soils, but I want to read you two soils in particular. The two soils was the stony soil and the thorny soil. Matthew 13. He cast the soil everywhere, but very little of the soil was good soil. Verse 21, describing the stony soil. He who has no root in himself. Let's see. But he who, verse 20, but he who receives the seed on stony soil, stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Verse 22, now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Which one are you? Are you either? Has it, has it been the negative things of the world that have drawn you away from God? I've met so many people, and they're like, oh, I was going to church, and these hard times came, I quit going to church. I quit praying. God doesn't hear my prayers anyway. If it's hard times, run to God. And then the second one is, and this is much more sinister, because we are attracted. We do covet. We want things of the world. We want them. We want nicer cars and nicer shoes and nicer pants and nicer clothes, and nicer house and nicer whatever. We always are trying to upgrade. It's what we do. Better looking whatever, spouse, nicer kids, friendlier pets, whatever. We always want something we don't have. We're always trying to upgrade. And, and tragically, these things of the world have crept in and they've stolen us away from our first love. And it says of those that I, there's another scripture there that I would read to you, but um, I'm not saying you can lose your salvation. I'm saying be very careful. Be very careful. Be very careful withdrawing yourself from the one true God. Either the seed fell on the stony ground or the thorny ground. One leads away from God for fear and angst, and one leads away from God because of material things and the desire for wealth. All this stuff is passing away. And the only thing that's going to matter, the only thing that's going to matter is your relationship with the Father. And you've got to work on that. If you've got questions on those things, let me tell you, today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not even guaranteed to make it through the end of this service. And it's not too far away. Today is the day. So there's a couple physical things to help. Well, let me show you this real quick. So let's see, does Christ satisfy the same timeline here? So Christ is the Passover lamb, right? And this Feast of Unleavened is also called the Feast of what? First. First fruits. If you recall, Christ the first from the dead. That's 1 Corinthians, ugh, sorry, 15. I barely felt it, trust me. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by men also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one is in his own order. Christ the firstfruits after those who are in Christ at his coming. Did any come after Christ? The graves were opened. And then at Pentecost, how many more came? Christ crossed the Red Sea as a child. He was in Egypt, came back across Egypt. Is he the bitter waters? He's the rivers of living water flowing out of him. He made the bitter water sweet at the wedding of Cana where he changed the water into wine. He said he was the bread of life, the living bread. He's the water from the rock, the living water. The one that drinks of him, never be thirsty again. Rivers of living water flowing out of the innermost parts of the man. Did he ever battle the Amalekites? This is a picture of the world right here. And Jesus was in a battle with them from the, from the moment we see the, we see the supernatural war between Satan and Christ from this moment on earth until the Romans, the Jews, and the Gentiles murder him, the, San, the Sanhedrin, the, the Pharisees, they murder him on the cross. Yeah, he's at war with them. And is he the law? He said, I didn't come to complete. He, I am the law. 
I didn't come to abrogate the law. I didn't come to change the law. I complete the law. I am the law walking around in the flesh. I'm what the law looks like. Yeah, he's the Torah. He's all those things. He's the same route that the Israelites took back in the day. And he's the same thing coming up to Pentecost. And now with the coming of the Holy Spirit on them, there's even the blessing of the, of the word going out to the nations through uh, the working of God on them. He's the mediator. He's so much more. There's so much going on there. So here's a couple of physical things to help us remember the work of God during the feast. The first thing we got is these two leavened loaves. And um, Carrington, man, she's obsessed with these things. She's like, do we get to cut those after the thing? And uh, I told him that Zach was going to bring it around, and each of you got to take a bite off. They're kind of tough. So he's going to hold on to it, and you just got to rip it off. But anyway, the, the two leaven loaves. So the wave offering, the, the high priest holds the two loaves up, and he waves them before the altar. They kind of look like slippers. Look at that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, what, what could leaven, what does leaven mean? Whenever we see leaven in the Bible, what's leaven? Sin. sin, right. Okay, so we have two loaves full of sin. What could that possibly mean? So there's two kinds of people in this world. Now there's the saved and the lost, the righteous and unrighteous, but there's a different kind. There's the people of God and there's the nations. Both of them are filled with sin. We're born dead in our trespasses and sin, the word, the word says. And the priest, when he's waving those in front of the the altar, he's, he's, it's a symbolic picture of men being humbly presented before God. That's all it is. But I saw in Ephesians, it, it's in Ephesians 2.14, if you want to look there. I, I noticed there's a couple places, uh, quite a few places actually, where you will see Pentecost mentioned even if it's not in name. But in Ephesians 2.14, you'll see these two loaves mentioned. For he himself is our peace and has made both one. Who's the both? Verse 12. That at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. For he himself, verse 14, is our peace, who has made both one, and he has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. At the time of the cross, the Gentiles were absolutely ruined. They had no hope. God came for his chosen people first. Came first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. But he always has made a way, even in giving the, even giving the, the law to the Jews and the Gentiles in the Old Testament, he always makes a way for any who would receive him to be saved. So these two loaves of re bread represent the two groups of people who become one new man before Christ. As we're grafted into the true vine, and when we accept Christ and we become Jewish in a sense in spirit, we become a purified loaf. We become an unleavened loaf. But we start off a leavened loaf. So you can be whichever loaf is more attractive. That can be your loaf. But that's what you begin with. So he gave the Ten Commandments to all people. We are filled with sin. Those represent the two groups of people. Psalm 117, if you recall from the great halal, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and in the end ends with, for his merciful kindness is great towards us. He cares about you. The next is the honey, and it's just a thing that they have on that, on that feast, milk and honey, and it just is that representation of the sweetness of the land, the provision of God to his people. But it's also the sweetness of his law to us, us, like Paul, who were born out of time. We weren't born and have to go through the exodus, thank God I didn't have to go through that 40 years and then die right when you're going into the promised land. And I wouldn't have necessarily been wanting to be one of the settlers in the new land where you're constantly at war with the neighbors. But we're born out of time. The Messiah has come to bring rest to all who would hear a sweetness of rest and Jesus who brings grace to those who would hear him. The milk, I didn't put the milk out there because you saw how clumsy I was. I'd probably knocked it over and we'd be cleaning up milk right now. But the Israelites promised a land flowing with milk and honey and God satisfies his promise to him. I noticed, I, I've heard people say before, I can't stand milk and you're not supposed to eat, drink milk or whatever. I'm going to tell you, the only reason we get to say things like that is because we live in the United States of America, a highly blessed nation. And I've been to places where they would have gave anything for a glass of milk. 
because that's the only food we had that day. I've told you before about the dinner when the little kid came and they didn't have any food for him. I was there and I had milk, like this much milk, hot water with sugar, and he got hot water with a teaspoon of sugar in it, and that was his supper. Um, see all that God provides for you in this country in this time as a blessing, please. Don't complain about your food. But the milk there is a blessing. And, um, and we've been blessed by the pure milk of the word, the Bible says. The pure milk of the word. It's very satisfying, high in protein. It provides spiritual, physical growth to us. And the last is the sheaf, which is the wave offering. And if you recall, it's the picture of the first fruits of salvation. But there's also another scripture there. It's in 1 Corinthians, right around the corner there. At uh, 1 Corinthians 15, it says, verse 37, And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain. So you, to, in order to get this little frond right here, the only thing I had to do was pick one of these little seeds out of here and throw it in the ground. And what's interesting is, is that it says there that um, it's not the seed. I don't grow the seed to grow a seed. The seed doesn't just produce one other seed on top of the ground. It doesn't duplicate itself. It multiplies itself. It says, uh, so the body that shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases. This is the body. That's the one that God, if I had the root on there, it would be the whole body. But as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. What we are as believers, when you hear, when you receive the word, the implanted word, you're, that's the seed. You hear it. And then another comes along and waters it or cultivates it and tries to keep the weeds away so they can grow. So the thorns or the stony ground or the hard ground doesn't burn it up. And it becomes developed and it becomes developed in this plant. But at the end of this plant's growth, it develops a fruited head. And we're to produce that. Also, you'll see in the Bible, it's Isaiah 40, and it's in about four other, five or six other places, really, where it says, it's in James, too, um, about the grass withers, the flower fades, but the world, word of the Lord uh, rain, uh, stands forever. It says, all men are as grass or as the flower of the field. So this is a picture of us, our weakness, our frailty. We grow, but for a short period of time, we have a, a youthful phase and a, a, you know, a growing phase, and in a maturing phase, and in a wilting and a dying phase, just like the plant. But God's word endures long term. So in the first fruit of the sheaf, we see the first fruits of salvation, Jesus being the first among those, and all who would receive him, to these he gave the right to be called the children of God. So that's exciting. So that's the, you know, the four big pictures. There's more going on, of course. A lot more going on there. So traditionally, you would read the book of Ruth. I pray you fathers will read Ruth to your children today. Maybe you could look for a couple key words there. One of them is under his wings. You'll see that a number of times. You'll see covenant in there. You'll see uh, uh, the marriage vow in there. And you'll see the wheat harvest in there. All those things are in there. And that's why it's traditionally read at Pentecost. So... Um, all those tied directly to the great feast of Pentecost. And um, there's a ton more we can talk about that. Next week, we're going to talk about the foundation. And, of course, the Ten Commandments, the foundation of the faith, but Christ being our foundation. But So this is all kind of working towards that next week. So the, the last thing I want you to think about is about this vow. And I want you to go back just to your youthful salvation point. And I want to know if at some point in your life you made the decision to follow Christ. Because if you did, then at some point you should have made a vow similar to this. All that the Lord has spoken we will do. It's hard to live by this if you don't know what the Lord has spoken. To hear people preach or teach or listen to it on the radio or listen to Christian music on the radio, or read Christian books that are not the Bible is one thing. They're not necessarily bad, but they're not the best. To understand what God has spoken, we need to read his word. We need to hear his word, but we need to read his word. So either by, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So you've got hearing and the word of God. If you can't read, then get the Bible on, on um, tape or on DVD or whatever, and begin to hear the word, begin to read the word, and allow God to speak to you. And you will see that as you measure yourself against God's word, you come up pretty small. But you'll also see, as you measure yourself against God's word, that you should be filled with joy because he sent the Messiah to save you. 
And he loves you. And he has a plan for you, a purpose for you. And then you can look in there and you can see what your ministry is. Because he calls all people to himself and for them to be ministers of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you have a purpose in that. And different people have different spiritual gifts. are going to do, uh, reach others with the gospel in different ways. Do that, whatever that is. But I wondered if we could, if we could vow together this morning. And you need to be careful in this because it says not to take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. But I wonder if we could vow this morning all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Could you make that vow this morning? You willing to do that? Are you? Stand up, hand on your heart, other hand on the Bible. We should do that. We're going to do it at the end here. If you can't make that vow, don't make it lightly. If you can't make that vow, then evaluate what your relationship is with the Father today. If you're not willing to say to God, all that you tell me to do, I will do. If you're not willing to do that, then evaluate your spirit. The Bible says to make your calling and election sure. Make sure that you're saved. Because there should be a twinkling of desire in you to serve him with your whole heart. If you can't serve him now in good times, you won't in hard times. And I tell you, I'm not trying to be just a fear monger or anything like that. I'm telling you because I see it, and if you can't see it, you're willfully blind. Our country's not going in the right direction. The world as a whole is not going in the right direction. It's turning its back on God. People that once feared God, they sit right there, the Lutheran church, very powerful in fearing God and, and preaching the gospel and, and, and bringing people, reforming people. And now it's just a weak uh, picture. I, uh, one of the churches in town, they had a big luau yesterday. I'm not against luau's. I'm not against Hawaiian food. I lived in Hawaii for six years. It was good food. But you're not going to trick people into following the Lamb of God who was shed from more the foundation of the earth. You're not going to trick people into that. You can't trick people into the gospel. You've got to lead people to the gospel and show them what they are so that they can be saved, just like you were saved. Someone was merciful enough to you to tell you what you truly are so that you could recognize your need for salvation. So I pray today, if you're not saved, that today is your day of salvation. If you don't know what I'm talking about, come talk to me afterwards and I'll help you. I'll go slower and we'll talk about it until you figure it out. But without Christ, your eternity is separation from God in hell. He makes a place for those who don't desire him, but you don't want to be there. So think about that. Let's stand together and we'll, and we'll make this vow together. It's a simple vow, I think. If you can't make the vow, then stand there silently. and We won't make eye contact with you. But all I want you to do, just stand there. I want you to close your eyes for a second. And only because I want you to be private in your own spirit. I don't want you eyeballing other people to see if they got what it takes. But I want you to think about this. Can you say in your heart that all that the Lord has spoken, I will do? So if that's the case, I ask that you pray that now in your spirit and then speak it out loud. All that the Lord has spoken, I will do. Let's say it together. All that the Lord has spoken, I will do. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for these people here, Lord. I pray that you give them boldness. Encourage them, Lord. I pray for our country, Lord. I pray for our leaders. I pray that no matter what happens around the world, no matter what happens, that we will do what you tell us to do. Lord, I pray that you give me encouragement, give us encouragement to read your word daily, to discover more and more who you are, Lord. I pray you give us boldness in telling others about the hope that we have within us, Lord. I'm so grateful for these that have come this morning. They could have been somewhere else, but they chose to be here. I pray that your word was a blessing to them and that they remember it, and they don't just keep it to themselves, but they tell others, Lord, I pray for conviction of spirit that we will remember that we vowed before you that all that you have spoken we will do. To the best of our ability, Lord, I pray now that you encourage us in this, that all that you have spoken we will do. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us, your care. And Lord, we give you this day, Lord, and we give you all the glory, honor, and praise for all that you've done for us in the past and in what you'll do in the future. Thank you, Lord, for your care for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Have a seat, please. We have, whoops, Grace is leaving. She said, I'm done listening. I'm diso disobedient thing. We have a, um, I'll tell you what. We got, let's take three minutes.
And if you need to go to the bathroom, you can have four minutes. Or if you want to leave, you may. But we need to have a business meeting, and it'll, it'll take a couple minutes. So if you want to go to the bathroom or take a break or shake hands, if you want to come talk to me, now would be an excellent time. I'll turn my microphone off so it'll just be you and me. And I would love to talk to you today. I pray that today, if you heard his voice, you will not harden your heart as they did during Exodus, but you'll allow your heart to be softened. You'll hear his voice, and you'll come to him. Today being a day of salvation. If you wait, and you're like, I'll deal with this later, and I'll go home, and I'll think about it, we forget things. The world, the flesh, and the devil creeps in, and it draws us away from God. So I pray that today is the day of your salvation. Let's take five minutes and, um, and come right back, okay? You are free to escape. Five minutes, bathroom break. Hello, young man. How are you?